Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, we take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. I'm Carrie Poppy, and we are back with Bob Larson. Here he is. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the show. Oh, hey, Ross. I'm an exorcist. Do what Jesus did. You should listen to my music. How many? How many? (laughs) Okay, we don't actually have Bob here, but we're bringing Bob to you in spirit because it's time to review some more of Bob's books. Yeah, boy, what a prolific author. I like these uh, book review episodes. So yeah, we're taking a little break from our school, International School of Exorcism coverage to tell you about some more of uh, Bob's many, many books. Because you guys remember what it's like to be in school. Sometimes you just need a break. Right. But even when you have a break, you got that like summer reading or whatever. And you got to read the professor's book. Ugh. We probably you know have a lot of quiz you on that. professors who listen to our show and they're like, I do that. Are you saying something about my book? <laughs> no, your not book, really. Your book is wonderful. Your book and your book alone, Dr. Anne is very good. Very good book, Dr. Ann. So I kind of like these uh, book reviews, but that's just me. I hope hope you do too. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of taking a break, this will be our last episode of the year. Uh, We're going to take off a couple weeks for the holiday break. So we hope you all have wonderful holidays, free of demonic influence. And uh, we're going to see you again. free of COVID. Right. And we'll see you again in a a bright and shiny new 2021. We're all very excited. Yeah. As we're recording this just yesterday in the States, we got great news that the FDA is fast clearing a vaccine. It's not Mm -hmm. quite approved, but it's okay for emergency use. That's great. Hell yeah, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it. I'm in Oliver now. Uh, and yeah, the, this is an emergency, so uh, it couldn't have, I was gonna say it couldn't have happened any sooner. I, don't, I guess it couldn't have. This was quite a rush to get these vaccines yeah. available. Yeah, I'm glad they did it. It can't happen too soon. That's what I was going for. There we go. There we go. So, yes, 2021, going to rock it, going to be hella tight. <laughs> I, I feel nervous even saying anything like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I'm giving up on all prognostication. When it was, when this was getting really bad here for the first, the first time it got really bad in like March, my dad emailed me and was like, so I assume you're moving the wedding mm. in March. And I was like, Papa, that's in October. This is going to be a distant memory. (laughs) It should be fine. And then I think by, I remember by May, I was like, oh, shit, we're going to have this for two years, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Rough. Rough. Well, yeah, let's talk about Bob Larson and his books. What what did you read? I read Bob Larson's Satanism, the Seduction of America's Youth. We're doing a little show and tell here. I'm holding it up to the camera. Yeah. Okay. That looks serious. When did he write that? This is 1989. Oh, we're, we're getting closer to each other. I went back in time and you went forward in time. Oh, interesting. The year of Drew's birth. Well, that's exciting. And uh, this was like right in the heart of the satanic panic. 
Yes. So this is this is an important document you've got. Oh, and I I see uh, like a pentagram on the back, and the, oh my gosh, the they swastika. just dropped this on you. Yeah, pentagram and, and the anarchist, anarchist A. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then a swastika. I didn't even realize that was there. I had put this down, and in an Instagram picture behind this cute picture of ella mm-hmm. there's just like a, oh. <laughs> a swastika in the upper corner and the, i saw it later i was like oh by the way uh, we've got to be careful like with our work. forays into realism we also have swastikas around from that yeah 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 you yeah. gotta you gotta watch out any random shot of our bookshelves is always problematic that's probably true yeah a lot of this uh this literature they go to the nines with the with the drawings. Wild. Okay. And I will be talking about demon proofing prayers. Ooh. DPPs. Now that you mention it, yes. And this was written in 2011. Okay. And I got it when it was hot off the presses in 2012. I know because I still have the little pamphlets from our meeting and oh, wow. his calendar of events from 2012, which included our Pasadena show. So wow. uh, yeah, I've been holding on to this for a while I've poked through it before, but it was fun to finally read through. Great. Are you proofed? Oh, I am so demon proofed for oh, the holidays. Good. Yep. So this one, also kind of like Jezebel, the more recent book that I talked about last time, uh, has that same kind of design where I feel it could easily sit alongside a bunch of Scientology books. Totally. Like if you walked into a church of Scientology and one giant shelf was completely covered with just 80 copies of this one book directly facing you, the consumer, I would not be thrown until I looked very closely and I'd be like, wait a second. That's totally. not LRH. That's BL. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, and, and also, um, what are they called? Amazing Facts. They could fit in fairly well. They're a little busier. Though. Yeah. I was going to say you would just need to add some lightning bolts and a, maybe a flying eagle or the Statue of Liberty behind the sword. Yeah, it says Demon Proofing Prayers, of course, because that's the title. But behind it, there's a rapier type sword with like a really fancy kind of curved handguard. Not the sort of sword that they really reference in the book that Bob's trying to paint a picture of. So it's just it seems like kind oh, of the wrong image from having read the book. Yeah. And behind that is a wooden texture of a door. And then the subtitle is Bob Larson's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. Hell yeah. So you learned about Satanism and I learned about how to protect yourself against demons with prayer. Okay, should we go backwards in time, start with you, and then work our way backwards to me? Let's do it. Okay. Oh, I should also brag that Bob Larson signed this book for me. Oh, wow. Look at that. Oh, and did he date it? Oh, he did. Oh, it's to both of us. Ross and Carrie. That's right. Oh, hey. Okay. We both got it. And it's from January 20th, 2012. That's when he signed it. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Yeah. Someone pointed out to us that even though we released our exorcism episode in 2012 toward the end, so we were saying November, it was actually toward the beginning of that year that we really had that experience. So this investigation just keeps getting older. (laughs) He also wrote the Bible verse, Luke. Luke 418, of course. Oh, what's that one? That's the one that he put on his seal. We've talked about that before. Oh, okay. Kind of central to his ministry. Oh, right. It's like, yes, I do cast out demons. 
that's a good idea. Exorcism, good. I believe that's the <laughs> summary given in the NIV. Wow, that's almost word for word. The spirit <laughs> of the Lord is on me. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners to set the oppressed free. Okay, yeah, I mean, slightly different translation, I guess. But yeah, Even that is truncated, but you get the idea. So... One interesting thing right from the forward, which was written by a different Bob, Bob Beal, an executive mentor. Interesting choice. Uh, but he he was saying at the time that Bob has 15,000 documented case studies of exorcism. Which, Where are the documents? Right. I'd love to see the documents. Certainly, he has a lot of these on video. But also, the last figure that we discussed was from less than a decade later, 30,000. So that, oh, he doubled it. Yeah, he's been increasing his rate of exorcisms, clearly. It's like logarithmic growth of exorcism. What's that general rule for how fast technology moves to a smaller and smaller? A Moore's no, Law. Okay, Moore's Law. It's like that. <laughs> the doubling of transistors on a chip every 18 months. Yeah, it's Oh, just... 18 months. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bob, you got to step it up. <laughs> Hurry up, Bob. Computer chips are, chips are taken over. Also, computer chips. That leads me to think there will be some kind of spiritual singularity with demons. Okay, I'll have to hash that out in my mind. Yeah, I wonder if a demon can exist in a computer once the computer is advanced enough to have a human-style intelligence. Mm. Can computers be saved? Right. Can demons, I save on them. Can demons get into computers and fill them like hotels, a metaphor <laughs> within an analog? Probably. These are the questions that you get on Ono, Ross, and Carrie. <laughs> and not... The answers. All right. So another thing you learn from the forward is that demon proofing prayers are not about deliverance. They're about preventing the need for deliverance. Oh, okay. So this is all about prophy oh, prophylaxis, you know. Got it. Vaccines. Hey, that's right. Hey. I like how high minded you are. I was thinking of condoms. <laughs> so this book is broken down into two sections. So the first part is just life lessons. Bob has chapters arranged around ten life lessons that are gonna help you become a spiritual warrior. Okay. And then in the second part, he's gonna give you ten prayerful proclamations to demon proof your life. That's the activation section. Okay. All right, let's start in with becoming a spiritual warrior. I'm ready. All I'm right. putting on the full armor of God. You have ben, so got ben. it. There is so much talk about Ephesians 6 and the armor of God <laughs> in this book. This, oh, good. Yeah, this book is really just sort of a fancy way of saying, make sure to put on your armor. Ephesians is a book of the New Testament in the Bible written by our old friend Paul. Good old Paul. So Bob says the first time that he encountered a demon was, uh, where would you guess? Where, where do you think Bob was? Oh, where in the world? Yeah, where in the world is Bob Larson seeing demons? Okay, well, first I'm going to get rid of anywhere that has a mostly white population. <laughs> You're not um, wrong. Haiti? Okay, great guess. Uh, Singapore. Ah, uh, okay. That will do. 40 years ago, and he witnessed a Hindu ceremony called Taipusam. Okay. In honor of the god Shiva and the goddess Kali. Mm. And so he says, demons are more overt in places in Asia and India than they sure. are in the United States. Where oh, they, weird. Where they invade academia and the intelligentsia <laughs> and hide behind 
scientific inquiry, quote unquote, and oh, no. reason, quote unquote. Oh no! Okay, we're off to a good start. Oh my goodness! Uh, then he he's describing the ceremony that he saw, and these people are cutting themselves and putting hooks through their skin, and all kinds of just horrific uh, things. Bob can't mind, can't yeah. conscience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, they they drove a spike through their tongue and you know, stuff like that. Oh, that's interesting. I he basically detailed the exact same thing, but at a voodoo ceremony in this book. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. One thing he described was someone putting a steel rod through one cheek and out the other. Oh, and then he said, and then they'd stick their tongue out and put uh, a bolt through that as well. Wow. But in spite of all the torture, I never saw a single drop of blood. And just put a pin in that. Whoa. Like he, he draws some significance out of the fact that there's no bloodshed there, but that makes it all the more insidious. So j- just remember that later, that uh, he didn't see a single drop of blood. Okay. He didn't. See- okay. Yeah. Bloodless. Weirdly bloodless happening. So I think I'm describing Bob Larson's first witnessed demon. Cool. At one point, a young Indian man had been chanting ecstatically from the sacred Hindu scriptures. Abruptly and unexpectedly, his features contorted and his eyes bulged out unnaturally while an unseen force jerked his head backward and he screamed, falling into the dirt in crippling spasms. What is happening to him? I asked a bystander. The spirit of Kali has entered him, the man stated, and her entrance always affects people like this. Mm. There you go. Okay. You just texted me something, I think, earlier today as you were reading from your Satanism book that um, provided an interesting counterpoint to this observation Bob has of the brutality of demonic possession. Yeah. Well, here I can tell you that because I've uh, yeah. got it right here in our in our chat log. We chat. We chat. Um, Mostly okay, about yeah, you. Let's see. You, Gail. Um, Okay, so it says, I confronted Gloria, the girl who believed in the seven great powers of Satan, an Alistair Crowley teaching. So Bob says, uh, I asked her about my experience at that voodoo ritual. I asked her, well, who do you think is behind the sexual rights in voodoo ceremonies? I've watched voodoo disciples bark like dogs, simulate copulation, and roll in the mud. They act like the monkeys and mimic all kinds of animals. It's dehumanizing and degrading. Oh, barbaric. And then I, I sent that to you with a picture of Bob making a person just scream as he put a cross on her. <laughs> yeah, a picture of one of Bob's exorcisms that involves much barking and screaming and <laughs> yeah, just the exact same contortions and performance that he's talking about here. Of course, he would say, yeah. well, that's the demonic activity. That bolsters my point. Yeah, yeah. so there we go. We're all right. <laughs> Uh, So Bob says, I became convinced that the kingdom of God would never be able to advance unless more believers came to understand that the devil and his demons are unquestionably real and that each one of us has a personal and vital role in taking them on. Fair enough, but also very convenient for him that he's like the one guy who's picked up this mantle and it turns out it's central to Christianity Uh, in this way that's been completely overlooked. Yeah, he just happened to identify the one thing that the church has systematically de-emphasized. Uh, He says, though, you don't have to be in a developing country to run into demons. In fact, you probably encountered some already this week as you went about your daily routines. Without expecting a demon behind every bush, quote unquote, 
you can learn to see the demonic elements in the intractable seeming conflicts and circumstances that occur in your life and the lives of your family and others. Yeah. That's a- He loves to add that after that, like, not to be racist, but (laughs) appendix. Right. I know we started with this, but it's even broader than that. Yeah. And it's never like, here's an extended story of someone who got possessed by their ancestors in Norway. It'll be like, here's this extended story about this black woman and what I decided her past was. Oh, and by the way, it could have also happened to someone from Norway. That could have been this story. Okay. (laughs) Was it? Yeah, it wasn't. Why? wasn't it let's think about that (laughs) right an interesting thing i noticed in this book is that when he mentions lucifer or satan he gives them a lowercase letter l or letter s oh interesting okay and of course god or jesus they're always capitalized or i remember this from when i was a christian like if i was writing a sentence and i was talking about god and i said and he gave them a covenant i would suddenly go back and, oh, shoot, I got to erase that H and make it a capital H. He gave them a covenant. Yeah. You know. Oh, absolutely. I still do that. You still give God the capitalized pronoun? I think so. Yeah, I think I... Unless I'm thinking about it and choose not to, but I think I would automatically. Yeah, yeah if I'm if I'm writing a Christian, I think I do, just because I know sure. that's what they're expecting. But I, I thought it was interesting that Bob here purposefully has given them a lowercase, I think, to remove a little yeah. bit of power from uh, Satan's name in whatever form. That'll show him. Yeah, that'll teach him. So who's involved in this battle? Well, of course, you are, and any child of God who has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And of course, in that sentence, God, Jesus Christ... Lord and Savior are all capitalized. He's, Bob says, I'm sorry to have to tell you that the world we are riding on is not like the train. You cannot pull a cord to make it stop and you cannot get off. So you're in this battle, whether you like it or not, it's time to be a warrior. Okay. Can do. Oh, I like this uh, phrase here. Our environment, government, culture, marketplace of commerce and entertainment was long ago donated to demons. Bold oh, statement, right? Wow. Yeah. The whole thing. Okay. What about the book he printed? (laughs) Yeah, right? Does that fit into all this? Just like, you know, his rock music is not like the bad rock music. Yeah. It doesn't have the thumpy parts. Right. (laughs) This book is thumpless. Um, Just to underscore the point, by confession of your belief in his virgin birth, his blood atonement on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, you were conscripted for life into the army of God, like it or not. There is no provision for conscious objectors. Whoa. Like kind of disturbing, really. Yeah. yeah, Because I didn't ask to be born. Yeah, totally. But tough. Deal with it. It's a draft system, but for everybody. Christians are automatically drafted. Get this. By default, you used to be on the devil's side, although you probably didn't realize it. (gasps) Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. This is pretty... uh... I mean, so it's much luckier to just not be a Christian. You get to not be on either side of the war. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're you're accountable for a lot as a Christian. Uh, and, and Bob even says here that he doesn't expect everyone just to rely on him. Of course, he wants to keep his ministry going and engaged all the time. But he wants to make sure that everyone's equipped to fight Satan in their own lives and to deal these spiritual battles. Yeah, I wonder how he would react to someone sort of reaching his level of prominence doing the same kind of thing. I wonder how he'd react to that. Yeah, because on one hand, he's getting up there in age and he needs kind of a ideological successor who can carry on the 
work, but he's always clamoring for support and money, and that would eat into his share of the pie. So that, that is a good question. Yeah. I could huh. I could see it kind of going both ways. I think verbally he would be in support of the other person, but I think he would be highly attuned and critical to any theological statements by that person. Yes. And on a dime, Bob could say like, oh, no, this is completely wrong. Yep, exactly. That's what I'm picturing, too. I think of Teal Swan, where mm. she has these people who just sort of compete for her cultural attention. Mm-hmm. And so she'll just sort of just casually toss out like, oh, just by the way, it's totally fine if you're into Abraham picks, but <laughs> this is what's wrong with that whole thing and why it's false. But if okay. you Now let's talk about me again. Let's talk about me again, please. Uh, All right. So let's delve into our life lessons. And these are all phrased as kind of a a little couplet. Uh, So life lesson number one is be a winner, not a whiner. Okay. You get the idea. All of them will have either alliteration or rhyme or feel a little bit like the two sides of the coin. Be this, not that. Goofus and gallant, if you will. False dilemma, you might. Aha. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Bob's definitely going to tell us what his version of a winner is. Uh, So Bob talks about a lot of the problems that Christians whine about. Uh, 31% of Christians said they were stressed out in a survey. Almost half of them, 49%, said they were too busy. 40% were in financial debt. 11% were dealing with addiction. So Bob's making the case, you know, the church has problems and he feels like this is maybe pointing towards their lack of engagement or just you know being whiners i guess rather than winners is there any comparison to like the greater american population no just that was a survey born again christian yeah of course that would be interesting because if they have higher numbers than the general population well then that definitely says something yeah uh, about the church uh yeah if it's lower of course this point doesn't get made but if it's about the same it would say probably more something about like the economic status of the United States. Yeah, that's a good point. He didn't provide that. Thank you. He says, whiners are also worriers. Not mm. warriors, but worriers. Okay. So that's another thing. Whining is it's just going to make you ask questions like, well, what if I get sick? What if I lose my job? Instead of focusing on you know the things that are going to improve your life. So, oh, so some real positive thinking stuff here. So here's uh, Bob's points on how to be a winner. Consistently cleanse your life. Constantly confess your sins and courageously commit your life to Jesus Christ. Okay. What was number one again? Consistently cleanse your life. Oh, okay. Uh, And for every one of these points, of course, he has commentary and Bible verses. There are many Bible verses throughout the book, and in Bob's usual style, some of them will come without a version designation. So I Mm. wonder if that's like his default uh, New King James. Oh, you know, I bet it says... If you open up the front inside cover, okay. this was the case of Satanism. This says, uh, yeah, New King James for this one. Oh, yeah. Unless otherwise identified, scripture quotations are taken from the New King James. Yeah, you're right. Okay. And from 1982. What? Is that as old as I am? That's crazy. <gasps> you're the New King James. <laughs> I'm back. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. The idea of him being a returned <laughs> a figure like Jesus re- returned He's to back. Earth. Yeah, it's exactly. the new King James. The, 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 resur- the resurrection! The <laughs> resurrection! Oh, that sounds different when I say it out loud. Hmm, good point. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to spread that one around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's funny. Maybe I've mentioned this on the show before, but once my uh, good friend and Presbyterian minister (laughs) was giving a benediction in the service and he mentioned- Who's Ben? What kind of addiction did he give him? uh Uh-huh. He was saying, you know, in the power of Jesus's erection, uh, resurrection, and he he fixed it right away. But one of my buddies uh, came up to him afterwards. He's like, I like the part about the erection. And he's like, shut up. (laughs) Yeah. A little too close there. All right. Well, I was going to inherit the mantle of the new King James. You can call me that uh, if you want to. I will gladly accept that designation. I'm probably going to keep saying the other thing, but okay. This is a fun sentence. Bob says, some people are so scared of the devil that they think merely saying his name gives him some kind of power over them. Yeah. And here we go. In that same sentence, he has a lowercase d for devil. So it's just funny. Like, we're making sure to show him he has no power here in this sentence while we're talking about people being afraid of his power. Want to know something weird, though? I do. My parents weren't religious, right? I was religious without them. Mm -hmm. But they did teach me God existed. And my mom believed that thing about the devil. Oh, that 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 you gave him power by mentioning his name? By talking about him. Like, if you said something about the devil, even if it was like, the devil is bad, she'd mm. say, Carrie, don't speak of the devil. It gives him power. And it was like, like, we didn't talk about yeah. that stuff ever. Gives who power to do what? Are we concerned about that? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. But yeah, th- if I said that, she'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't talk about the devil. That's, Which uh, now makes me feel like how people react to Trump, where they're like, mm. I know how I'm going to gain power in this situation by refusing to talk about one of the most powerful people in the world. Right. Yeah. And people get browser plugins that replace any mention of Trump with some other word or phrase or replace pictures of him. Yeah. So these things have power. I I was thinking of the Harry Potter series in which they refer to the villain Voldemort as he who must not be named. Voldemort. Yeah. Sorry. I said it. Voldemort. Which is a cooler name. It is. Macbeth. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, names do have power, but maybe not quite as much as uh, some people. You know what? I guess I agree with Bob on this point. Mentioning the devil's name does not give him more power. Oh, okay. So Bob Bob is saying that's false. Okay. Right. Yeah. He's saying, you know, we need to talk about these things. He's got a slightly different reason than I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. He talks about his whole legal right framework. And this was an interesting way to describe it. A legal right is sinful behavior that has not been repented of. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of like a even simpler definition than I think he gave in our school of exorcism. Definitely. And again, these legal rights, they can be very easily obtained. If you ever dabbled in the occult, for instance, even in a limited way, such as playing with an Ouija board or calling a psychic hotline, Uh. you committed a Uh. willful and deliberate sin against God. He's calling it willful and deliberate even in the same breath as he's saying, ah, you know, you probably didn't realize it was a big deal. Oh, right. Good point. Maybe not choosing to be informed about God's rules mm. is a sin. Right. Ignorance of the law is not mm-hmm. is not an excuse. Uh, and then he, he does lay out at least that your salvation is not at question here. So if you've accepted Jesus, yes, you have salvation. But yes. you oh. are shirking your duty as a warrior if you're not engaging in this battle. Hmm. What if I don't believe at all, but I am engaging in this battle. (laughs) Well, then you're a weirdo and you probably have a podcast. (laughs) Then you're one of two people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it assures people, you know, you'll still go to heaven. You haven't sold your soul to the devil, but your feet will be entangled and your life journey will be filled with detours. Your destiny will always remain out of your grasp. 
So wow! Yikes. So he wants to make sure that even though we don't have these ultimate salvific ramifications, we still do have really big implications in this battle if we don't engage. Man, but if you can sin and not know you sinned, and having a single sin in your backlog that hasn't been cleared is going to frick up your life, how would you ever get a normal life back? Well, I think the answer would be the typical Christian one of you get sort of a blanket forgiveness from Christ who absolves you of all your sins, but then on a go-forward basis, you have to continually reevaluate and assess and look out for the role of sin in your life. Definitely what Bob's calling for here is constant vigilance. You never stop the effort. It absolutely seems like a recipe for like OCD behavior. For sure. Yeah. This does not mix well with OCD. Yeah. All right. So we know all this stuff about Satan being legalistic and all of that. And relevant to what we were just saying, the first of our supernatural weapons is basic repentance. So just Mm. repenting for what you've done. Okay. Uh, Bob applies the principle of binding and loosing. Oh, okay. Here we go. This is this is meaty. So Bob tells us about the most common strongholds. He's discovered thousands, perhaps millions of strongholds that the devil exploits. But the most common ones fall into six categories. Fear, anger, okay. rejection, depression, self-hatred, and abuse. And I think that lines up well with the list that we got from our International School of Exorcism. I certainly mm. remember it starting with fear and anger. Yeah. One, I feel like he really labored on um, resentment. Is that in there? Yeah, I guess that would fall under the anger banner. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so then the second life lesson is be a warrior, not a wimp. So he starts with the the story of David and Goliath. If you haven't heard this story, Goliath was this giant, a nine-foot-tall guy. Of course, he was measured in cubits, so we don't know exactly how massive he was. But, you know, he was this huge warrior. And back in the day, I guess one fitting form of battle was to say, I'm the mightiest, strongest person from this side. Send out your mightiest, strongest person. And if I win, we get to take all of you as our slaves. And if you win, we become your slaves. What a cool game, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, what do you say? Like, uh, how about no? We'll just I'm fight. Okay. We'll fight the old fashioned way. <laughs> Why is there even a blue pill? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the same sort of situation. Like, do I have to buy your premise, Goliath? Um, <laughs> Could I just walk away quietly? So he was, you know, the big Philistine. And then the Jews were apparently unwilling or not ready to send out a warrior. And David kind of stepped forward and said, oh, I'll do it. But David was young and he was a shepherd and he didn't have a sword or anything like that. He just had a slingshot that he used to help protect his sheep. Uh, So he went out to face Goliath. First of all, if I was one of the other Hebrews there, I would say, no, we're not sending him out. This is ridiculous. We all become their slaves if this kid loses. But we all know how the story ends. David goes out there and he hits Goliath right between the eyes. Goliath goes down and the Jews win. So um, Wait, so do they inherit a bunch of slaves? That's a good question. I'm not sure. At least I don't remember the the denouement of that situation. Shit. I don't remember exactly what happened afterwards. The important part was that David was successful and that uh, the Jews were released. Well, I'm glad you were paying attention because in Sunday school because I just remember that story as little guy kills giant. Yay! <laughs> yeah. And not to get slaves. Oh, yeah. Bob quotes it here. 
Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So there you go. They got some new servants. Wow. All right. So, you know, you always look at that story and you think, wow, that's so cool that God gave the the strength and the inspiration and the boldness and courage to this young boy. And then he succeeded. Underdog. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's the ultimate underdog story. And then Bob is trying to paint this as David having been well-practiced because he fought off lions that attacked his sheep and he had trained and he is a warrior. And this is the lesson that you need to be trained as a warrior. I'm like, that's not the right story to use. No, you've been reading too much Malcolm Gladwell, Bob. (laughs) Right, this is not a tipping point story. This is not an outlier. Well, it is an outlier, but this is not a good illustrative example of us all being warriors. yeah. Does it in the in the original Bible story does it give you any indication of why he won? Is it just God's favor? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think the well, story then. I think they just tell it kind of straightforwardly like and he let loose the stone, hit him right between the eyes and boom, he's out cold. But I think we like all Like a sports call. And he's down. <laughs> Goliath 0, David 1. Yeah, I, I think we're all just left to assume. Yeah, it's because this is an early sign of God's favor upon right. the branch of Jesse. Okay. Anyways, yeah, it was just a, a weird lesson to pull from that story. It's a good lesson. It's just not in that one. Yeah, exactly. Bob's calling out these other warriors in the standing army saying they were wimpy warriors because of three factors. The intimidation of the enemy, self-doubt, and self-condemnation. So there you go. Don't be like these wimpy warriors okay. who are just so full of doubt that you don't even step up to the plate. Mm. That they like avoid the draft and say that they had a disability that they did not have in order to not go to Vietnam, like something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds kind of wimpy, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what Bob would have to say about that. I'm talking about Donald Trump, people. Bob loves him. That's what's we're pointing out here okay to be fair biden got deferments as well before uh people start sending us letters oh did he yeah though at least biden sent uh his son into battle to die for us one of his begotten sons but donald trump according to accounts from mary trump via the family said that when donald jr wanted to join the army his father threatened to disinherit him oh my god I've read that book and I forgot that part. So there you go. A little bit of extra patriotism. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Trump has this all the other way. He literally says people who die in battle are losers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyways, I just wanted to uh, introduce that one proviso. But yeah, when it comes to support of our warriors, I think we have a pretty clear picture of where Trump's at. Anyways, uh, so Bob points at the church and says they all want this nice, hippy-dippy, gentle Jesus, and they try to just mm-hmm. emphasize all the kinder statements of Jesus. And he says, Guitar Jesus, yeah. they don't know the real Jesus at all. Jesus is a warrior, and he has commissioned us as spiritual warriors, too. He is our commander-in-chief who has conscripted oh, wow. us for spiritual warfare. And this will not be the end of the militaristic language. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to decide. I, I really don't know who I agree with, the Kubaya Christians or the Bob Larson Christians. Like, I can make an argument for Jesus being, like, very much a bit of a, like, you know, military freak. Mm-hmm. And I can make the case that, no, he's, like, kind of a pacifist who just kind of hung out with his friends. 
Yeah, totally. Especially if you incorporate the revelation vision right. of Jesus with fiery eyes and the white hair and on a horse with a sword strapped to his thigh. You know, yeah, you've got your finally the conquering Messiah that the Jews were expecting to begin with. And they were very much rejecting that kind of early gentle Jesus, the sacrifice, dying and resurrecting Jesus that didn't seem to match up with those Messiah predictions. Yeah, I, I think the brilliance of Jesus as a character is that you can kind of turn him into whatever you want. And everyone's got their own version of Jesus. Yeah. As we've talked about on the show, the uh, uh, Christ opting. Christ opting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a powerful concept. So. Bob has his own Christ opting here of the warrior Jesus. He tells us that we should be prepared in advance. You don't want to start preparing yourself for battle in the midst of the battle. He says that many people come to him and say, I need your help. Uh, Satan is attacking me. And so Bob's immediate questioning will be, oh, well, where are you at with the Lord? And Mm. he'll kind of reject people. He had one lady who came up to him and just wanted him to come clear a ghost out of her house. And he's like, Lady, if you don't know the Lord, I can't help you because Jesus is the one who removes ghosts, not me. And I can't just come into your house and deal with the situation if you're not willing. Oh, she wasn't a Christian. She wasn't a Christian. Yeah. She just looked him up, heard about him somewhere and said, Uh, oh, I'm going to have this guy get rid of this ghost in my house. That's not how this works, lady. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. So when he says, like, actually, Christians can be possessed... Mm-hmm. Maybe only Christians can be possessed in a way that Bob can help with in any way. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I guess I kind of applaud that he doesn't market himself as just coming in and doing a one step fix. Ta da, yeah. your demons are gone, your ghosts are gone. It seems like he wants a little bit of engagement from this person. Yeah. And another thing that he brings up as kind of encouragement for you to fight this fight is that we already know the fight is won. And mm-hmm. quotes Revelation 12 saying, For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And I, I always think that's an interesting point because he's saying we should be emboldened and encouraged knowing that the fight is already won. But I think back to our recent elections and everybody saying like, no, no, don't don't get so confident saying that Biden's way ahead in the polls. Mm. We can't get complacent because then people won't go out and engage because they'll think, oh, well, it's already a done deal. I, you know, it'll be fine without my vote. So I don't know. I always feel like there's this kind of weird lack of encouragement to get engaged when you already know Satan's defeated. It's a fate accompli. Oh, right, 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 right. Why why go fight this battle? And so Bob regularly in this book, he sort of paints this as cleanup detail. You're just going out there to, you know, of course, Christ has already won, but you need to go out there and sort of mop up the field and and, uh, help clear out the demons. Oh my gosh, this is reminding me of Bullshit Jobs again. The book about extraneous jobs we've added to the culture just because people need jobs. But you end up just being like, uh, you know, the, the author will call them like, um, you're a duct taper. Like there were there were problems that could have been fixed, but instead we just added a third person who would sort of bridge the gap between these two things and how we just have layer upon layer of that. It sounds like Christians yeah, we are the middlemen. jobs now. Right. Yeah, good point. Yeah, we, the Christians. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Then Bob's talking about how Satan constantly wants to fill us full of doubts, tell us that we don't pray enough or that we pray too much mm-hmm. or for whatever reason, we're not making the mark. So he says, don't fall for that either. So let's define a warrior. First, a warrior is never focused on fear. Okay. Bob, 
Bob says he's been kicked and spat upon. Uh, Once I had my ribs broken. I've been bruised and bloodied from time to time, and demons have threatened my life, but I'm still intact and still going after the devil on a daily basis. I'm not putting on some kind of bravado. This is so Bob. I'm genuinely unafraid. I see absolutely no reason to be afraid of the devil as long as I'm completely focused on Jesus Christ. I mean, oh, except for that very last part. I agree. He doesn't need to be afraid. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, Except of maybe keeping people from the doctor. Sure. So yeah, a warrior is never focused on fear. Number two, a warrior is right with God. Three, a warrior knows how to fight on any battlefield. Four, a warrior knows what he is fighting for. Okay. And uh, on this point, Bob throws in an interesting little anecdote, again, kind of loosely touching on politics. He says, many Christians think that the future of the United States rises and falls on who is in the White House. I believe Mm. that some political and moral battles are worth fighting with conventional rhetoric and the ballot box, but that can be a distraction from the real war, which is the war against the devil. Oh, interesting. I wonder if you stand by all that. Number five, a warrior knows that losing is not an option. Uh, Although warriors know that they are not going to win every battle 100%, the outcome of the war of your soul was decided at the cross. Therefore, losing is not on your radar. You can go AWOL if you really want to, but if you remain in the battle for life as true soldiers of God must do, you cannot and will not lose. Okay. The occupying enemy hasn't yet accepted the message that he must leave, but it is your job to persuade him. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Bob. All right. Agree. I'm just thinking of Trump in the White House right now. Oh, yeah, right. Life lesson number three. The enemy three. needs removing. He doesn't want to go. <laughs> it has not accepted and he needs to be persuaded. Yeah, you're right. That yeah. sounds a lot like Trump right now. <laughs> uh, life lesson number three. Be an overcomer, not a... Undercomer. He makes up a different word. Succumber. Oh, what? Don't be a succumber. Oh, a succumber. Oh, I think he said a sock hummer, like someone who hums into socks. Nope. <laughs> and I thought, what is that? Okay. Be an overcomer, not a succumber. Okay. Yeah. And he does acknowledge that it's not a word, but it'll work for this uh, little scheme he has set up. Okay. So if you want to be a highly successful succumber, he has some kind of tongue-in-cheek recommendations for you. Convince yourself that nobody cares about you. Seven habits of highly effective succumbers. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Convince yourself that nobody cares about you. Tell yourself that everybody is against you. Act like doom and gloom is around every corner. Believe that the success of others are due to their lucky breaks. Become convinced that your best efforts will not succeed. Presuppose that no matter what you do, you will be misunderstood. Presume you could do a lot better if others weren't always against you. And, you know, these are all tongue-in-cheek, so he's saying don't do any of this. Uh, Don't do these things, yeah. Right. Constantly complain that your life has no real significance. Always worry that nothing will ever work out right. Be paranoid. Surely others do not want you to overcome bad things. Those are all the wrong ways to go about it. And then, of course, he gives us the opposite values of how to be an overcomer and the the scriptural support for each one. Uh, This is really interesting, too, because then he says that, you know, we all have emotions and God gave them to us, so they should be good, right? What about jealousy? Well, God is a jealous God, isn't he? What about fear? Well, we're Mm. supposed to fear God. It's interesting Mm -hmm. because 
I think typically Christians work really hard to kind of redefine jealousy and fear in both of those contexts to be something slightly different than the negative emotions we associate them with. This is a fun little story when he's uh, talking about finding the enemy. I have made repeated trips to Hollywood to discuss potential television shows with various production studios. And keep in mind, remember he said earlier that media is completely given over to the devil. Before I went, I made the typical assumptions that Hollywood should really be called Hellywood because they market so much evil from there. And yet, I discovered something very interesting in my conversations. Instead of being confronted with demonically controlled, malicious people who were bent on destroying everything we held sacred, I found only ordinary people who were confused. They had landed in Hollywood because they could make money there, and a lot of the reason for the money-making was directly tied to the kingdom of darkness. Oh, I wonder how he'd feel about a Disney employee being in his exorcism school. Yeah, interesting. Uh, it seems like the conspiracy crowd really reacts if they ever like look at my profile or look me up and they see, "Oh, you work for Disney." As if we have of all some places. As if we have some company meetings where they teach us how to subvert the will of God or something. <laughs> or they teach right. they teach us the secret handshakes. None of that. Uh, how to mind control kids at Disneyland. Exactly. Project Monarch. Actually, yeah. funny enough, Bob in this book later on he does speak positively of Walt Disney trying to create Epcot as an ideal living community, oh, a utopian society. Yeah. And oh, he, cool. Can't wait for that part. And he sort of uh, denigrates the the cowards that took over for him after his death and turned it into another theme park. Oh, yeah. But, well, but his, okay, that I'm kind of with him on. Yeah, his takeaway from that lesson is don't let losers get you down. Right. Don't let your vision be constrained by the people who are going to try to kill it. Oh, a little bit the fountainhead. Okay. Mm. Well, mm. while we're on the subject of Disney, just real briefly, I just want to say Hidden Mickeys is making a comeback, <gasps> everybody. Hey, I'm excited um, about that. We recorded our first episode in one year. <laughs> Victor actually is editing it this weekend, so hopefully next week. Okay. Hey, that's exciting. Hey. That's funny. I think, wasn't your plan going to be just to have the episode pop out like nothing ever happened? We did. Well, what we did, okay. Uh, Hidden spoiler. Mickey spoiler. Go back go for it in 20 seconds if you don't want this. We do at the beginning just pretend it's only been, we took one week off. <laughs> so we're just like, oh, hey, guys, we're so sorry. That that week felt like it lasted forever. That's, that's awesome. how we handled it. I approve. Yeah. I think you'll like this story. So Bob says, one day as I was walking out of a conference room after a you know Hollywood meeting, a man pulled me aside. Reverend, he said, I am one of the top script writers in Hollywood for horror films. <laughs> this is nope. Mm-mm. All I do all day long is churn out horror film scripts nonstop. I wish... <laughs> I wish I could pick your brain because even though I'm constantly writing about evil, to be honest, I don't really know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote one word in the margins next to that. Okay, let me ask. Who? I said, sir. <laughs> so like whenever Trump is lying in one of his stories, you know, someone addresses him as sir. <laughs> it's oh, sir. Okay. Sir, I just want to let you know. Oh. You've saved my life. You've made me the most popular person oh, in my community. So, uh, oh, I never noticed that. That's that's a yeah. Oh yeah. Insight. There's been a lot of commentary about this that you can tell Trump uh-huh. is lying when he tells an anecdote and tells. someone addresses him as sir. Oh, okay, interesting. So this one just started with Reverend. So maybe that's Bob's <laughs> tell. <laughs> 
Reverend Dr. Bob Larson. So now we learn about fighting to win. Spiritual warriors who are overcomers declare war all the time, but they do not waste their time declaring war against the wrong things. They refrain from declaring war on other Christians. They avoid fighting straw men. They don't see the point of blaming Hollywood or Washington, D.C. Like I just did. Or the Republicans or the Democrats. They refuse to blame the devil for things he didn't do. So that's at least a little bit of high-mindedness from Bob saying not everything is the devil. Don't call every adversity in your life uh, the action of the devil. Like a demon or something that would be nutty. Just seems totally anti what he actually does. Yeah, for sure. So he, he kind of likens single-issue Christians to single-issue political candidates and says there oh, are right. just too many fronts for a single-issue Christian. The enemy wears too many disguises. So I kind of like that. Yeah, he's encouraging Christians to uh, focus on a broader picture in mm. how they see the world and the threats in it. That's uh, not necessarily hypocritical or anything, but it's interesting that a a person with such a specific ministry would feel that way. All right. Life lesson number four. Be a leader, not a loser. A loser. Loser. Sad. A loser. Uh-huh. Satan does not want to draw attention to himself as he builds nuclear bombs in Iran, as he sentences thousands Whoa. to die in Darfur, and as he ravages Africa with AIDS. Satan would like to convince us that we really can sit down to talk with Hamas, that these people who want every Jew dead really somehow have a compassionate interest in the welfare of all people. Whoa! That's how he opens that chapter. And right after- That's intense. After he's told us like, eh, don't don't ascribe everything to Satan. He's giving Satan responsibility for bombs in Iran, AIDS in Africa- yeah. Holy shit. Pretty intense, right, Bob? Yeah. And like a total, like an argument for intolerance of Muslims, right? Was I understanding he, that part correctly? Well, a- anybody who's an enemy of the Jewish people is an enemy of Bob's. So he's, right. he's calling and, out Hamas. Later on, he calls out okay. uh, you know, like the PLO, the Palestinian mm-hmm. uh, supporters who want to kill Jews. So granted, that's terrible to say you want to exterminate the Jewish people. Mm, sure. But, uh, you know, for Bob, it's it's very one-sided. Right. In defense see, of, of the Jewish people. Anyways, yeah. so this is good. He says, let me assure you, if I were ever elected president of the United States, can you imagine Please, this? No. Bob, oh my God. Bob as president. I don't know. It feels like we're heading there. I would not be sitting down for friendly talks with the leaders of Fatah or the president of Iran until they renounce their genocidal aims upon God's people. Great. So. You can see that this is a one issue for him as a as a voter. Yeah, no kidding. Please never be president, Bob. Uh, here we go. Uh, a real spiritual warrior can see the devil at work within both the Democrat and Republican parties. Okay, fair enough. With both the rich and the poor, with the whites and blacks, with everybody. Just as some examples of opposites. <laughs> the devil doesn't care about your income or your skin color or your political party as long as he can get you to murder the unborn or demean, oh or demean traditional marriage or tolerate the encroachment of crass and crude expressions of culture. 
I didn't expect him to be this like forthright about what he was saying. Yeah. It's like he took like truth serum for this chapter. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, this is all just very intense. Yeah. Here we go. He says, so uh, where does Satan show up? He is in the gossip that splits churches, in the pride and ego trips that cause people to form factions, and in the denial of his existence by preachers who refuse to speak his name. He is in some of the classes and small groups that promote yoga or singles hooking up sexually. He's behind some of the quote-unquote enlightened views about alcohol and money that have made their way into the evangelical camp. Money. That's interesting. I wonder which way he would uh, go on that one. Yeah, pretty wild. Uh, That's a good question, actually. I wonder how he feels about the prosperity gospel. Yeah, because... I mean, I do think the Bible is pretty clear that you're supposed to live an almost ascetic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. And, take all that you have and give it to the poor. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Yeah. And so, yeah, prosperity gospel is so cynical and so just like willfully Ugh. not not even misreading the text, not reading the text. Absolutely. Um, so if Bob is making that point, it's like pretty bold and correct, but it's I mean, I, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but his income was published in the mid-90s and like, mm. dude does great. That's interesting. Not as living a, an ascetic lifestyle. As I was reading this book, I was really wondering about that, just with some of the things he said, like, how much is Bob pulling in? But you've you've seen those yeah. numbers. In the 90s, though. Okay. But yeah, in the 90s, at least he was pulling in like, I think it was still over 100000 in 90s dollars. Okay. Yeah. That's that's solid. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very curious because I think that would yeah. say some things about how he's organized his life and and the pitches that he gives constantly about how they're just yes. on the brink of financial ruin. Yep. That makes me all the more kind of attentive to that. Yeah. Okay, Carrie, guess which is the finest leadership book ever published? Um. Okay. Either Machiavelli's The Prince or... The Bible. <laughs> oh, all right, you got it. It was the Bible. How'd you know? Yeah, my second guess. <laughs> Important things for a leader to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. That's very specific. Okay. Not pursuing dishonest gain, keeping hold of deep truths, tested, and managing his household. Eh, those all sound pretty good. The wine one feels a little uh, aside, but all right, sure. Not His too much. sounds um, a little specific. But he's got scripture for each one of those, of course, because he pulled it from the greatest leadership book ever made. Mm-hmm. It's funny. He kind of bashes on Lot for a bit and calls Lot a loser, the nephew oh, okay. of Abram, who we talked about in a recent episode. He yeah, says, a real jerk. Yeah, don't emulate Lot. Instead, look at his life and do everything you can to avoid his mistakes. And he mentions the fact that Lot got drunk and his daughter slept with him and got incestuously pregnant. So, all right, at least he's down on that. He also condemns Lot offering his daughters to the crowd as virgins to sleep with. Good job. Yeah, maybe because Bob has daughters. Have you ever visited Bob Larson's website? Yeah. Oh, many times. Oh yeah, you went to his school. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna see. I want to see what his homepage looks like. Cause I mean, I'm used to going to his actual school. You know. Oh yeah, BobLarson.org. Hmm. Oh, is that it? Okay, I'm just gonna give it a quick once over. Oh, you know what? Pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Pretty high quality. I don't know who hosts it. 
and I'm not going to look. But if I wanted to make a beautiful website myself, you know, I would probably use something like Squarespace. That's a great idea and definitely a way to create a professional looking website. I mean, listen, whether you're an architect or an art gallery or a fine art or a graphic designer or a furniture maker or a museum or a performing artist or like a writer or a blogger or a photographer or an agency or a creative consultant or a wedding professional or a restaurant mm -hmm. or a bar or a pub or a food producer or, or, or just a producer or an, or an instructor or a, or a record label or a venue or a designer. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I said that before. Or a nutritionist or a wellness coach or a sports team or a personal mm -hmm. trainer or a coach yep. or a gym or a studio or a spa mm -hmm. or an athlete or an interior designer or a furniture or a real estate broker or a gamer or a consultant or a healthcare or a financial service or a lawyer or an exorcist. A dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. So make it a reality with Squarespace. And whichever of those things you are, you can use Squarespace to blog or publish content, to promote your physical or online business, announce an upcoming event or special project, and much more. And Squarespace gives you access to beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They have powerful e-commerce functionality. They have a new way to buy domains and choose from over two hundred extensions. And there's a whole community of people who use it. There's a lot of ways to find support, but they even have their own 24-7 Stevie award-winning customer support. <laughs> Whoa. Yep. That's incredible. It's legit. In all sincerity, Squarespace is great. We've used it for years. Absolutely. So check out squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial. That's right. You can try it out. Just start making your site. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ONO to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Like DrewCareyShow.com, a Squarespace website where, I don't know, maybe there's stuff about your wedding. Just as one idea. It's a good example. Well, since we're talking about things that our listeners should know about, mm -hmm. I'd like to tell you, Carrie, about Quip. Oh, Quip. Stellar stocking stuffer. Absolutely. If you're looking for a great gift someone might not have already, yeah, it fits in a stocking too. You can get a Quip toothbrush. And uh, actually, I just recently got the new, they have the sleek, sexy looking black Quip that has a smart motor. Oh, cool. Interacts with your phone and so you can get the app and get rewards and points and, and track your brushing right. so nice. that arrived and my wife Kara, she said oh i want that one that looks cool and so mm -hmm. she took that one and we gave the red toothbrush she had the special product red edition we gave that one to andrew and i know ah. what you're thinking that's weird you don't normally hand down a toothbrush from one person <laughs> to another person well you do when you have replaceable <laughs> heads on those toothbrushes it's uh. very easy to just say, pop, pop, here you go, new toothbrush. So now the whole Boscher family is using Quips. Oh my gosh. I mean, what a dream. What a Christmas miracle. We are living the life. <laughs> and if you can't provide for your family, you are worse than an unbeliever. <laughs> but not really. But not really. That may be coming later in the episode. <laughs> like you're all scratching your heads like, wait, why did Ross just say that? Oops. <laughs> But he doesn't mean it. Listen, are you a pick person? 
Or are you the flostering sort? It doesn't matter. However you clean in between, Quip has you covered. And they have, as Ross mentioned, the new refillable Ross pick. I mean, floss pick that makes it easy on the go. I like it. You know, actually, I, I tried this floss pick for the first time. I hadn't before. And uh, it's really interesting. Now, I've only ever before used just like the long spool of string. And you take the string and you wrap it around your fingers. So yes. th- there may be other things like this, but this seemed really clever to me. They give you this this little tool. It's kind of like a fork tool, so it sort of looks like a Y that's bent, and it opens. So you hit a button, and it opens, and you clamp it down on the floss, and then you pull that out, and you oh. floss your teeth. And then when you need a new one, you just hit the button again. You pop out that other floss, and you grab a new little tiny segment so you don't use more oh than God. you need. It's really clever. Oh, my God. I'm going to actually get that. I'm going to pay cash money for it because yeah? the like Y-shaped thing isn't new to me, but usually they're disposable. So even right, though it's they're so, so wasteful. Yeah, they're so usable, but like would so feel the, bad. Yeah, the them. only part you're replacing is just that little individual segment of the string. Oh, which, my God. They provide super smart. Oh, my God. I I remember just kind of staring at it thinking, I would have never come up with this. Yeah. Good job, Quip. I want one of those now. (laughs) So you can pair your floss with the perfect electric toothbrush for adults and kids. They have simple guiding features you need, like timed sonic vibrations to tell you when to move on. You've you've cleaned that area to help you brush better. Uh, Quip also delivers brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months from $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the store. This holiday season, check out Quip's exclusive deals. Go to getquip.com slash oh no right now, and you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash oh no. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash O-H-N-O. Quip. Better oral health made simple. Well, hey, Carrie, since we're sharing exciting information for our listeners, Mm -hmm. I think they might want to hear about this Jumbotron that I've got in my hand. Whoa. Let- give that over here. No, no, no. I want to read I can it. open that for you. Okay, here you go. Um. Okay, let's see. It says, we wanted to let you know about a new podcast called The Dispatchist. It's a friendly conversation about eternal damnation. It's about the mythology, stories, and pop culture of hell. And our listeners that like weird religion will probably get a kick out of it. Nice. That sounds fun. Yeah. And their website is dispatch.ist. So check them out. Give them a listen. And if you like it, subscribe. If you hate it, don't. I like it. Dispatch. D-I-S-P-A-T-C-H dot I-S-T. And yeah, it sounds like a nice corollary to our bob larson topic so if you're yeah. if you're missing us over the next couple of weeks maybe you can uh, check out the dispatchist well speaking of jumbotrons if you flip this over it's actually reversible we've got another oh one. there's two jumbotrons mm-hmm. yeah. oh wow okay who's this one for this one is for carly wilson from gary christensen oh he says carly we've had almost a decade together It's been filled with new friends and family, college graduations, several job changes on both sides, and a wonderful black cat named Axel. Aw, Axel. Here's to hoping that the next few decades will be just as great. Love, Gary. Aw. Gary. Also, I love this. Left us a note saying, you can play my Gemmatron whenever, but before August would be ideal. And we really pulled through for you, Gary. <laughs> I'm going to check that off my to-do list before like, August. This is, Gary is the most on top of its scheduler in the history of personhood. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well you are done. you are a lucky woman, Carly. <laughs> He's eight months early. <laughs> Incredible. Fantastic. Incredible. We wish you both many happy returns. Um, all right. Life lesson number five. Be a thriver, not a survivor. survivor. You got it. Nicely done. <laughs> Do not be poor. <laughs> one way you can interpret that sentence yeah a lot of it does have to do with self-sustenance when he's talking about thriving he uses the biblical story of jericho which is a real head scratcher where the hmm. the israelites bring down the wall of jericho by traveling around it seven times and then blowing their trumpets and then the walls just topple you know the walled city goes right. down i'm not sure what good takeaways come from that story <laughs> Uh, I think for Bob, it's what most Christians would say, which is have faith in God, even when he's commanding you to do something that seems implausible or nonsensical, you know, you got to be fully committed to it. And to defeat your enemy, just walk around their walls seven times and blow your horns and uh, you win. That is the lesson of the Noah story. Yeah, that's true. Go gather that gopher wood, build an ark. What? Okay, People everyone's are laughing tell at me. You you're crazy and weird. Keep going. Oh, same thing with uh, going to kill your son. If you're Abraham with your son Isaac, you know, oh, ah. go go take out the son that you waited forever to have, and I finally gave you in a miraculous birth and kill him. Okay, God. Yeah, don't question orders. That's that's the lesson of all three of those. Don't use your own discernment to question. Yeah, authority. That is a Christian Yikes. principle. So this is. Uh, Ugh. I never thought of that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, not great, right? Uh, so let's say your Jericho is clinical depression. That is a tough city. To <laughs> okay, con- <laughs> that is a tough city to conquer. The walls are high and well fortified. <laughs> Statistically speaking, did you know that the number of Americans on antidepressant drugs is three times what it was less than ten years ago? Oh, um, wow. okay. He points out the question of whether that is a sign of increased depression or increased diagnosis. Uh, but either way, right. a whole lot of people are very depressed. We can't make a blanket statement and say that all depression is demonic because it isn't. However, depression right. is the opposite of Just faith. Most. Depression is the opposite of faith. thought that was an interesting statement. Oh, wow. As the Bible states, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I think as a Christian, I would have totally bought that. Oh, yeah, if you're depressed, that means that you're not trusting that God is going to work everything out for the best. So Right, right, right. This is, uh, yeah, a feeling that just comes as the result of a unwillingness or something. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you were sort of willing to trust God, if you were willing to just know everything would be okay, this feeling right. would go away. It's assuming a lot of control over one's emotions and reactions. Yeah, for sure. A little later, he says, stop thinking of depression as a condition that can only be treated with drugs and start seeing it as a symptom of a deeper root problem. Then God will help you to identify that deeper root and you can topple depression one wall after another. By blowing a horn at it. You got got the lesson. You're paying attention. (laughs) Here's some other big no-nos. You cannot be a strong warrior if you watch pornography on the internet, oops, or get drunk on Saturday okay. night, or oops. surrender yourself to practicing yoga or some kind of non-Christian meditation. Oops. Ways to invalidate yourself as a warrior. And he is careful earlier to define meditation. By going to yoga class? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bob Wait, is- like if you're... <laughs> 
Bob is so anti yoga. I know in this he hates book. yoga. Yeah, I it's know. it's a oh ga- yeah, he hates yoga and his other ones too. It's just it's a gateway drug. But that that he'd specifically list that in like just the top three right. problems along with pornography on the sculpture. internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And getting drunk on Saturday night. Yeah. So then, of course, Bob gets into the armor of God. You need to gird your loins and all the other parts of your body. Actually, it's not a full set of armor. This always kind of bugged me as a Christian because I remember like trying to draw pictures of the armor of God. And, you know, you're missing certain pieces. (laughs) If you just take on the armor that's described, you're still missing some things to like (laughs) protect your legs and shoulders and all that. This is so peak child Ross. Yep. <laughs> like, 100%. You like read this verse and you're like, A, I'm drawing it. <laughs> B, <laughs> I did, as actually. I'm drawing it, I realize uh, not every part <laughs> of the armor of God is actually listed sufficiently. I still Mulsha. I have a complaint. Where's the rest of the armor of God? I was always kind of thinking like there's some other ones. What are they called? Yeah, I still have some bad fifth grade drawings of like me trying to picture what the four headed beast would look like. Oh, my God. You have to break those out. We have to put that on a T-shirt. I think I know where they are. (laughs) Oh, my God. Amazing. The partial armor of God. And Bob admits, yes, by yourself, you are weak, but God gives you this armor. So... Uh, He quotes Ephesians 6, that's where the armor of God comes from, out of the pages of your Bible. To protect the rest of your body, you need an assortment of armor. You need the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, picturing you drawing these, okay. Let me read it from the old NIV. It's always fun doing a Bible search and then seeing like how people fill out that search. If you search for Ephesians, Google immediately says 6. You want Ephesians uh, 6 because everybody looks that one up. It's just like if you do 1 Corinthians, it'll, it'll say 13. You want 1 Corinthians 13? We'll give you uh-huh, that. Uh-huh. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's interesting to put evil in the heavenly realms. Okay. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That was always a really hard one. Like, wait, what do I call the feet? Are these shoes? What? <laughs> yeah, sandals. It sounds like sandals. That would be kind of the contemporaneous uh, example. Uh, it's just, it's really hard to sum up with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What? <laughs> That's really hard to put on a diagram. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, I mean, that's most of it. You still just, you know, you need something to protect your legs pretty much. Yeah, you don't have pants. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this is what I'm picturing. So you've got a hat, (laughs) you've got the shirt, you've got sandals. Uh Uh-huh. You're Donald Duck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're Yogi Bear or something. Yeah, you're just kind of like you're, naked from the yo- waist down. Yeah, you're Donald Duck, except you also have like a, a, a knife and a shield. Okay, someone's got to draw that now. Someone who's mostly 
<laughs> naked except for the upper half of their body, very well defended against the enemy in some small sandals. <laughs> um, I think it's already been drawn, Ross, by Mr. Walt Disney. Donald Duck. Now we know. Bob makes a really big point about the shield, and there's like a, a preposition there, and in some translations it says, above all, the shield of faith. And so he takes that very literally. He says, when it says above all, he means you need to hold it above your head so that when the flaming arrows come, you will have the shield above your head. Because you also need an umbrella. So when you draw it, again, the shield has to be up top like an umbrella, right, protecting you. And Donald Duck with an umbrella. The, the shield's supposed to be wet to absorb the flaming arrows of the See, enemy. Perfect. But I, I looked at the word used there, and it doesn't necessarily mean above. It's just sort of a preposition that could be translated many different ways. So oh, I see. Interesting that he made that point so strongly. And again, he this is why twenty six languages over twenty six languages, like Melissa Scott. <laughs> again, this is why the cover of the book seemed a little wrong to me that it had this svelte rapier style sword rather than I, I would imagine as a cover illustrator you would use like a. A first century gladius, you know, something that a Roman soldier would use, like kind of a broad, straight sword. Anyway, so Bob tells us that we need to take action, that the Bible in that account gives us all of these words of action. Be strong, put on, stand firm, take, pray in the spirit, be alert. I like this. Bob says, I've learned something about standing, literally. I've prayed deliverance prayers, both standing and seated, and somehow standing works better. It's not just that the physical posture makes me feel stronger. I feel linked mm. with the biblical soldiers of old when I stand up. So mm -hmm. there you go. I don't, I yeah. don't remember him teaching us that in the International School of Exorcism. You so. know, I feel like I had heard that him say that once before, but I okay. don't remember where. You know, it could be. I could have totally missed it in the 15 plus hours of that course. <laughs> but yeah, he, I mean, that definitely argues for it sort of being a psychological element at play here. Mm -hmm, totally. And life lesson number six, be a teacher, not a preacher. Oh, but Bob. Right? He acknowledges this. And just <laughs> further down that same page, he says, the Apostle Paul was both a preacher and a teacher. <laughs> and like, uh, he puts this out, be a teacher, not a preacher. And then he continues to defang that statement. So huh. I think he was just... Looking for the easy rhyme there. Uh, but Yeah, just say be a preacher and a teacher. So he talks about like the negative associations people have with preachers because some preachers try to control people's lives or don't listen mm -hmm. or give bad advice or in it for the money. And so Bob is encouraging us to be receptive and always learning and all the good things about being a teacher. Show how you do things, illustrate, encourage correction, etc. I like this little uh, anecdote. Uh, this vision uh, extends to our own family. My wife is often at my side, combating evil spirits during exorcisms. When our oldest daughter was 12 years old, she performed an exorcism in front of 3,000 people in Africa. Whoa. So I, I guess that's, uh, that must be Bryn. was there. Our other two girls have stared down the devil on more than one occasion. And this was, I think this was either right before or right as the teenage exorcists were starting to become a big deal. Like right. when, when we first saw Bob. As ever, Bob is demonstrating that within the church, you can fall for these attacks from Satan. He says, one time I sat down with a woman and her pastor husband and the leader of one of our Do What Jesus Did teams. The woman said, I've been trained, but my life isn't working. In fact, just a couple of months ago, I started to think about killing myself, which I tried oh, to gosh. do when I was a young adult. As she proceeded to share the litany of horrible things she had 
gone through in her life, I listened for a while, and then I stopped her. Ma'am, I said, you may be a pastor's wife, and you may be doing spiritual warfare, but when somebody tells me they've had that many bad things happen to them, I know one thing. There is a curse somewhere on your family line. Oh, no. Sure enough, within the hour, we had figured it out, and she was completely <laughs> delivered. Here was oh. the sweet Christian lady standing alongside her husband, ministering healing and deliverance to people, the whole time carrying a 12-generation curse that went back to ancestors who had performed a blood sacrifice to the Egyptian sun god, Ra. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this story is, you know, even happened. Of course. But if it did... And if you are out there, lady, uh, we'd love to follow up with you. How are you doing today? Indeed. Yeah. Were you completely uh, healed? All your problems went away from that day forward. Life lesson number seven, be a giver, not a taker. That's a good lesson. Sometimes taking's okay. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes it's important to receive. He, he tells a story about a time that he went out of his way to help two young ladies, and they were Buddhists. He clearly tried to proselytize to them and now oh, wonders, no. he wonders if his selfless uh, helping of them when they had a, a car accident has now helped them to find Jesus. I'm sure it has. Oh, Bob. I see. I see. I'm sure it has. But he was telling us how he was a giver. <laughs> uh, Bob talks a lot about money and giving and being a selfless giver and not worrying about how that giving is going to impact your life. All very convenient for someone who asks for donations all the time. <laughs> right. He encourages us to be generous with the devil, too. Hmm. What? What does that mean? What I mean is this. It's time to give it to the devil and all his demons. It's time to not take it anymore. Okay, Bob. Now you're just confusing things. Oh, what? Yeah, he's just telling us, you need to give it to the devil. Like, you know, give him a... Give him a good oh, fight and okay. and say, you know, like network in, in the 70s. I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah, okay, Bob. yeah okay. I don't think that was necessary, but I think Bob was having fun there. <laughs> Life lesson number eight, be an achiever, not this, I feel, is a direct attack Deceiver? on you, Carrie, not a dreamer. Okay. An Fair. achiever, not a dreamer. You're such My a parents daydreamer. didn't realize I had ADHD when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's summed up in that sentence. This whole chapter is just about not deferring your aims and goals. You know, don't let life pass you by. This is where he talks about Walt Disney having this great dream. Okay, life lesson number nine. Go, go, go. Be a friend, not a phony. Oh, phony. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very holding Caulfield. Uh, so he talks about how God is your friend, the friends that Jesus had in his life, how to identify true friends. And uh, here he talks about David and Jonathan. They had a really close friendship growing up. Bob says, these days, conservative Christians tend to disparage close male friendships, such as David and Jonathan's, lest they be considered homosexual in nature. I think that's actually a uniquely un-Bob insight. Yeah, to like the not try to eschew male closeness. Yeah, exactly. Then he quotes Second Samuel 1, where it says, uh, this is David writing to his friend Jonathan, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Hmm. So many people have looked at that and said, oh, mm -hmm. maybe there was a little bit of David on mm -hmm. Jonathan action. Um, yeah, the, maybe, the maybe not, but... Uh... 
could definitely read it that way. For sure. If anything, David would have been by in that case, because we all know of his lust for Bathsheba and his hundreds of wives. Oh, we all know it. We, we all know, know it. it. And for our listeners, I thought you'd appreciate this. Phony friends just talk about being friends. Sometimes they become more like enemies. After all, you only have to drop the R from friend to make it the word fiend. <laughs> Which is a must play. Best fiends, everybody. He gives the example of the whole story of Jesus cursing the fig. And oh, yeah. even includes the verse. And, and he doesn't shy away from this. The In the verse, it says, for it was not the season for figs. And Jesus still cursed this fig tree for not having figs right? outside of the season when they're expected to grow figs. But Bob said, well, it was because this particular fig plant had many leaves. And when it leaves, you expect it to have figs. Okay, whatever. It's still a stupid story. <laughs> that still just like makes the case that Jesus doesn't like know what's going on. Right. Yeah. He's either clueless or just like unnecessarily vindictive. Yeah. yeah. I don't want a botanically unaware God. <laughs> right? I want a B-A-G, a botanically aware God. That's why I wear that shirt. You wear a shirt? It says B-A-G on it. Oh, no, I always I, I always wondered what that stood for. <laughs> it's botanically aware God. He also talks about how important a spouse can be as a friend. Uh, and this is interesting. Getting married. This is relevant to you, Carrie, because uh, you've okay. got marriage coming up. Getting married is an act of spiritual warfare. Oh, no. I didn't, somehow didn't see it coming. Okay, why? <laughs> it snuck up on you because getting married declares war on sexual sin and the temptation of lust. Oh, my gosh. That's great news. Should I tell my fiance? Yeah, congratulations. Hey, babe. He said one sec. Okay. Um, I just found out something wonderful on the show, Ross is holding for me, that marriage is actually a declaration of spiritual warfare because you're declaring to God that you denounce sexual sin and what's the other thing? The temptation of lust. And the temptation of lust. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That was my main reason for getting into it and everything. Okay. Cool. <laughs> glad, glad, glad that that's been codified. Yeah. Mazel tov. Uh, she says that that was his main motivation. So. <laughs> Excellent. And the final life lesson, number 10, is be a provider, not a... Divider. I think that would be better. Be a provider, not a pretender. What? Oh, those don't feel like what? opposites. I'm glad no. you. I'm glad you had that reaction because I sat staring at that for a long time. Like provider, not a pretender. Wait a huh. minute this this drawing doesn't have pants. I feel like this is why we only have ten chapters like this because Bob is really stretching on this last one. Absolutely. So this is where Bob talks about being responsible, financially responsible. He kind of talked about that before, but also just generally in your life, being right with God, having having all your ducks in a row, so to speak. Here's an interesting little story from here. Bob says, I personally have never been to heaven, and I've never met the mm -hmm. Apostle Paul. Jesus has never come into my... Oh, you know what? I had misread this early on. I thought he had said that Jesus had come into his bedroom and sat on the edge of his bed. Never mind. Not a good Whoa, story. Oh, that'd be cool. I take it back. Yeah, I will say this about Bob. There are a couple things that make that sort of differentiate him from a cult leader, hmm. I think. And one is we don't have any of those sort of 
special biographical details about Bob himself where it's like, oh, well, this is when I received the message. Mm, this is when mm-hmm. Jesus sat on the edge of my bed and I realized I was special. His his Good personal point. history is not really a subject. And also, I was realizing as you were reading all this, like, it's so specific and yet a lot of it doesn't repeat from the rest of what you might call his theology. I'm not hmm. like, oh, back to Bob's points. It's just like new random thoughts he's having today. And, you know, it's not like, oh, that buzzword. Oh, you said mm. ecclesiastical. That means something special here. We right. know that work. The, yeah. yeah, there's just there's none of that, really. I guess Bob has so much to say about everything that I guess he doesn't need to pull from those particular common grab bags for other leaders. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So so here he's talking about other things, but he says, ironic as it may seem, you may achieve some of your most ferocious moments on the battlefield in an almost bloodless manner, which again, I'd stuck the pin earlier in how he was looking at those ceremonies saying like, oh, they're piercing themselves, but I never saw any blood and how dark and insidious that was. I just thought it was kind of funny that he was (laughs) Saying the same thing about your spiritual war that you'll have. Oh, right, right, right. He's not sure what that metaphor means. Right. But at the very end, he quotes 1 Timothy 5, 8 and says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa. And that's so the Bible Christian, talking. That was the Bible? Yeah, that was First Timothy. Pretty uh, pretty harsh there saying, yeah, if you haven't provided like, for your household, uh, you're worse than an unbeliever. Oh, my God. Yeah, harsh words, that's right? That's terrible. Yeah, don't be a pretender, Carrie. Be a provider. Oh, my God. Sounds like, I think this stuff's a little fucked up sometimes. <laughs> so then we get to the second part, the final coda of this book, Activations. 10 Prayerful Proclamations to Demon-Proof Your Life. He reminds us not to be afraid to talk to the devil, even though you will not have a friendly conversation. He has to shut up and listen to you, because you come in the name and in the authority of the one who took him down, Jesus. And one is capitalized. Hell yeah. Yeah. Don't know platform Satan. Uh, Prayer is waging war. So prayer is an act of warfare, which... I don't know, it just sounds very lazy to me, but okay. Of course, yeah. we hear that all the time. People talk about being prayer warriors. I heard that all the time. My mom considers herself a prayer warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, praying and getting married, those are two ways to be a soldier. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, this is real fierce battle here. <laughs> Throughout all of this, I really get the sense that Bob wishes that he lived in this age of siege warfare because he just he misses the battlefield. He misses the clear foe and the prospect of slamming a sword down on their head or something like that. And uh, he makes everything about this metaphor to doing this intense warfare uh, when he's really talking about, you know, sitting in your prayer closet or giving money to the church or all of these very prosaic actions. Yeah, there's this specific type of angst for someone who sort of was an activist or or religious person or whatever in their 20s and thought thought like the big turning point is going to happen in my lifetime. By the time I'm 50, Mm -hmm. whether it's like Jesus is going to come back or we'll have a vegan world or (laughs) there will never be another Republican president or whatever like sort of panacea they're foreseeing doesn't happen. There's like this certain kind of like unrepentant angst that Mm -hmm. I sense in Bob that I also see in friends and I'm sure to some degree in me as a 
person who got into animal rights when I was like 21. And yeah. now I'm like, well, hey, at least there's vegan burgers for sale. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's never <laughs> the conclusive final end that uh, that you're hoping for. Right. For sure. Especially during your own lifetime. But Bob does guarantee here that as you take hold of these prayers and proclamations, you will be taking strong offensive action against the enemy to the point that as the title indicates, you will be able to make your life genuinely demon proof so i think this might be kind of the answer to our question of whether bob is ever susceptible to demons i think he probably feels he has completely battened all the hatches he's got guards on the gates you know any military references you want you know he's thoroughly safe against demons even when he had that blood transfusion you know he thoroughly prayed to guard against any infusion of demons from the blood yeah it's interesting, though, because it sounded like in that first, uh, those first couple chapters that in order to properly confess, I needed to know and understand all my sin. I couldn't just be like, I'm sorry if I sinned. I probably did. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm thinking, OK, so then even if you're doing these sort of proofing prayers, you're still going to be missing specific sins you've committed. So you're thinking you're of kind of a ledger that we we can't access and know exactly what's on there. Right. And if we don't name and claim every single one of those or name and fight every single one of those, we have your tabs still vulnerabilities. Do. There's still a, a gap in the armor. Yeah. It, that's the pants. That's the pants. <laughs> they can they can shoot your leg. <laughs> no, we get it. I think Bob at least allows for a little more panacea uh, in that respect that, you know, you can sort of ask God for forgiveness and address things as they come up. And that at some point you can just call it done, that you've addressed yeah. everything. Yeah, I, I think he's saying that too. I think, I think though, I think he's being inconsistent by saying Oh, that. sure. Because, of course, the second a Christian tripped up or something went bad, then he would immediately say, aha, you have an undiscovered demon still in your life. Right. Still in your hotel. Right. And would he let you just turn on him and be like, I see a demon in you. Actually, I spotted in you. Oh, you're not aware of it? That's <laughs> bad, Bob. I can see it. Oh, you know? no. Boy, you really wonder what would happen if one of his close followers tried to pull that on him. Yeah. You say we're equal. No, I don't. How dare you say that? Right. You have the devil because you said that I have the (laughs) devil, which sounds like how a lot of the witch trials went down. Yeah, totally. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Yes. All right. So to prepare for spiritual warfare, prayer, declare your faith, resist the devil, confess your sins, you know, the usual, forgive the sins of others, uh, break ungodly soul ties. Oh, this was interesting. I I don't remember him talking about these soul ties. He said, when you tie your soul in an ungodly way to another person, you compromise your freedom. Many people carry soul ties with old boyfriends or old girlfriends, ex-spouses, abusive former pastors, and sometimes with satanic priests or fake prophets. Whoa. Soul ties. Yeah, that's new. Okay. Watch out for those. Okay. (laughs) And this is where he reminds us, as it says in 2 Corinthians, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That, you know, that can create those kind of soul ties. Just in case anybody listening realizes they have a soul tie and they're like, oh, shit, what do I need to do about this? Bob says you can break soul ties by praying declaratively. I break the soul tie with, insert person's name here, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I think we should all do it together. Okay, so listener, think of a person who you need to forgive or let go of or 
just sort of cleanse yourself. Mm -hmm. And then Ross is going to say the sentence. And when he pauses, you can say that person's name. Say it with me. I break the soul tie with in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you feel better now? Yeah. I do a little. Yeah, well done. I said it in my head. You made a step. Okay. <laughs> Release yourself from inherited bondage. With the help of the Holy Spirit, identify all vows, oaths, blood covenants, ceremonies, sorceries, witchcraft, false gods, and so forth, and break each bondage in the name of Jesus. You also need to break occult curses. You need to command Satan to release what he has stolen. Uh, he quotes a verse from Proverbs 6. I'd forgotten about this, where it says, If a thief is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. So Bob says, don't settle for wow. less than that. Yeah, sevenfold. Wow. I'm glad that's not part of our legal system because, boy, that would really amp up the vicious cycle of poverty. Oh, yeah. Or like... I could see people start interpreting that like, you took a life, now you owe seven lives. That that was one of Jesus's things, that you should forgive your brother seven times. Jesus said, oh, not seven, but 70 times seven. Yep. And then uh, there's the, like, how many times can you be forgiven? Not seven, but 70 times seven. Like, f like if you're on the other end of mm, it, mm -hmm. it's the same, and it's the same value given that yeah, seven times, however many times you sinned, God will still forgive you. Which then, of course, made me as a child be like, that's only like 490 sins. Um, but I guess I, <laughs> I'm sure I sin more than like once a month. So, okay. like how? My reading of that was that for each sin and your on your part, you could be forgiven 490 times. Oh, whoa. That gives me a lot more wiggle yep. room. Yeah. Uh, I'm in either way, that's much better that's standing. a lot of times. You need to claim back lost ground. And then Bob gives reasons to pray spiritual warfare prayers. You got to pray to prepare. You got to pray to drive out the devil, to take action, to have passion. And Bob says there, the devil won't take you seriously if you pray passive, pathetic, whiny prayers. Pretty please, God, help me do this, if it be your will. Dot, 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 which I, I think my mom would take exception to because she said that all the time. If it be your will, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Bob says, no, get worked up about it. Satan, keep your hands off my kids. Get out now. Wow. Okay. You've also I mean, all right. I can kind of respect sure. it. I respect game. You've got to pray to be committed, to resist ungodly opposition, to invalidate evil reports. And he expounds there to come out against evil accusations that have been brought against you illegitimately by the kingdom of darkness. Huh. And that's one of huh. those moments where you go, huh, is this something personal, Bob? Yeah, tell us more. Yeah. Actually, I have some things to tell you in that arena that I think may oh. be in the next episode at this point. Okay. <laughs> he also says to pray against spells and curses, pray against every evil arrow, and pray against every evil presence in your own being. And that final point, he says, do self-deliverance, which... Oh, I so you can do that. Yeah, I think that's something new we haven't heard from him before. Yeah. And he even backs it up. He says, seriously, it's a good idea. You may need someone to get the process going for you. <laughs> But he says, you know, like sometimes you're going to you're going to need to be able to sort of handle things on your own. He says the devil may walk into your bedroom in the midnight hour and you are the only one who can tell him to leave. So but I like that he still leaves enough room that he can always edge himself in and be like, no, you know, you're not doing it right. You should consult with me first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 
This, you needed an expert for this one. He tells us that spiritual warfare prayers are unapologetic, insistent, bold, unwavering, aggressive, demanding, expectant, militant, and urgent. He kind of makes fun of some pastors who say the prayers in very soothing, rich voices, but really they're just talking to themselves and not helping anyone. Damn, this book's great. And God laughs at them. Yeah, yeah, it's full of salt and vinegar and yeah. some piss. This is so much better than that Jezebel. <laughs> and and we need to also just believe in it. You know, we need to get excited. We need to jump up and down and know that God is going to give us the results of our expectant faith. And I thought of like right now I'm reading When Prophecy Fails. The, oh yeah, classic. And they're they're talking about that 1950s a tiny little UFO cult that was expecting the end of the world any moment or at least the flooding of one of the Great Lakes. And you know, they're all standing out waiting for the UFO. They've removed all the metal from every piece of clothing and they've been told that it, it's going to come at four o'clock and they're waiting, they're jumping up and down, they're all excited. And it doesn't come, oh, of course. Buddies. Yeah, and just the stages of dealing with uh, the yep. repeated failed prophecies. I've been wanting to read that recently due to the current political climate. Oh, yeah. It seems like an interesting time to return to it. Right, now that Trump's not winning the election, that all this fraud isn't appearing as they were told it would. All the QAnon Q drops are not coming to fruition. Yep. And Bob says, don't limit your definition of spiritual warfare. If you think spiritual warfare consists mostly of prayers for deliverance uttered by a seasonal exorcist in either the context of corporate worship or on a televised hotline, you will miss 99% of the action. All Christians, you as well as me, should be praying spiritual warfare prayers all the time. So again, he's okay. removing a little bit of the you know reliance upon him only as an exorcist. So yeah. Good, good for yeah. him. For sure. uh, this is an interesting note. He says, although the devil comes at us with many different tricks, he can find only three ways to worm his way into a person. One, okay. the lust of the flesh. Oh, okay. Two, the lust of the eyes. And three, what? the pride of life. What? Uh, Bob, we don't. It, 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 you just made up three categories. They're not helpful. Apparently, he took them. I mean, the them, first one makes sense. Apparently, he got this list from 1 John 2.16. You know, Bob, he finds one scriptural mention of the thing that he's trying to unpack, and it gave a list, so that is the list. How can I make this a listicle? Okay. <laughs> yeah, he loves listicles. This book is full oh of them. Oh, my God. And he's not good at them. He quotes elsewhere, Romans 6, 21 through 22. And I always just scratch my head at this verse. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Great metaphor. Oh, oh my God. It's like the David and Goliath story. We just got traded again because like Satan didn't win this one. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, good point. So then the end of the book is just a bunch of prayers that Bob gives us. He calls them activations, which sounds like something you would get from one of these spiritual teachers that we talk to. Yeah. Like Deborah King or something like she would have <laughs> spiritual <laughs> activations. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just read one of them for you that I think gives the flavor of Bob's prayers. This will help you stand firm like David. It's the oath of a spiritual warrior. You ready? Yes. I am a warrior. I am a warrior. Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Bible is Jesus my- Jesus Christ is my commanding- Oh. 
this will go on a long time if you repeat all. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ is my is my commanding officer. The Bible is my code of conduct. The Word of God is my weapon of warfare. I am a warrior. I am a warrior. Okay, I'll point at you every time we get to the I am a warrior part. Ready? Yeah. I volunteered to serve and enlisted for eternity. I will not get out or sell out. I am faithful and reliable. I am a warrior. I do not need to be pampered. No one has to encourage me. I salute my king and obey his orders. I am a warrior. I do not need to be coddled. I am committed without reservation. Demons can't defeat me and critics can't discourage me. I'm Ben Shapiro. <laughs> I am a warrior. Disappointment will not turn me aside. A loss will not make me to quit. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. I am a warrior. Money can't buy me and hell can't stop me. Death can't destroy me. I will not give up. I march into battle under the banner of Christ. I am a warrior. <laughs> copyright Bob Larson, 2011. Wow. After every one of these, he puts a separate little copyright notice just in case you want to, you know, share this somewhere. Right. Make sure it leads people back to Bob. That you'll read the entire thing and then be like, oh, crap. But sure enough, these these do read like... Well, affirmations even, as well as activations. Yeah. And boy, the, the warrior language is very strong in all of them. So there you go. Now you know how to demon-proof your life with prayer. Oh my gosh, guys, if you're going to buy a Bob Larson book and you're between Jezebel and demon-proofing <laughs> prayers, get some DPP. That's the one. Well, thank you for your show and tell, Ross. You are welcome. You did such a good job and... I do need to see you after class about your notebook. Okay, Miss Poppy. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> Did you ever do notebook checks where they get mad at you if your notebook was messy? No, that sounds horrible oh, and scarring. I hated it. Oh, that sounds awful. What were you going to say? You're holding up your book oh, again proudly. I, I just remembered on the back, there's quotes from different establishments, and the first two are pretty rich. The Los Angeles Times says- Oh, yeah. Bob Larson has honed the art of exorcism into astonishing public performance. <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> okay. And then this is great. The next quote says, the devil is ugly. Evil is ugly. When you get to what I call pure extreme evil, it's not going to be pretty. That's from the New York Times quoting Bob Larson. <laughs> seeing this on the book when we bought it <laughs> amazing so good okay well look what i've done i've gone and talked so much about demon proofing prayers uh, i haven't left enough time for us to talk about satanism satanism the seduction of america's youth yes so i guess this is going to be like that time that like you thought you were gonna have to do a report today and then the guy before you runs along you're like no thank you oh my god thank you I well an extra day yeah bobby talked for half an hour so <laughs> jane you get to give your book report tomorrow and jane says phew i still have two chapters left to go not true for yeah, carrie right. carrie's done with her book <laughs> I did read it, but I can look up some more things. Anyway, yeah, so that'll be the next. Okay, the next installment of Bob Larson. Uh, well, yeah, we so, oh, it'll start out your year, 2021. Start it right with Satanism, the seduction of America's youth. That's a good way to start a year. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for letting me share all of that. I guess that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this podcast and all that we do at MaximumFun.org slash join or slash donate. That's how you join the awesome group of people who support us and these episodes and keep them coming 
your way. And uh, maybe you already have a membership. This is the first year that Maximum Fun has a super easy way for folks to gift Max Fun memberships. So, you know, we're outside the Max Fund Drive, but maybe for, you know, a holiday coming up, you might want to give a gift to someone else of uh, membership within Max Fund. They'll have access to all of the bonus material. You can do all of that at members.maximumfund.org slash gift card. You should get one for Kara. Merry Christmas. She'd love that. (laughs) (laughs) You wrap it in like a beautiful box. It's a membership to my own podcast network. Though she has on occasion, she's listened to a podcast and then realized it was a Max Fun show and maybe even heard an ad for our show on it. And they're like, oh, wow. I think it it makes me sound a little more legit in her ears, (laughs) which I like. That's fun. Uh, well, speaking of ways you can support us, you can write a positive review about this show that you're listening to right now. You could do it. Well, I mean, listen, you know what you're using to listen. Write the review on whatever that is. That's right. So other people can find the show and then people will get your references. Why you're talking about goat sperm all the time. <laughs> you can also support us at bookshop.org slash shop slash oh no where you can find a list of books that we've mentioned on the show, books that we recommend jointly or separately. It's a good place to buy books and support independent booksellers. Or etsy.com slash shop slash carry. Listen, there are so many ways. You could also use social media. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Or Facebook at facebook.com slash O-N-R-A-C. Onrack. And remember, in the words of the disgraced and now pardoned former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn at the Jericho March in Washington, D.C. You guys stand right here, right here with me. That's right, keep that, come on. Woo! Hey! I told... You know, I was going to end with a prayer, but maybe we'll start with a prayer. I told, I told Mike Lindell as he was walking and we bumped into each other, that I actually had the first good sleep of my, night, of my life last night. So, MyPillow.com, I'll give him a commercial. For those of you that don't know the story of Jericho, many of you do. We're actually standing in the middle of Jericho because we have penetrated the walls of Jericho, right? You know, what they didn't want to do is they didn't want to assault Jericho. What they wanted to do is they wanted to march in peace around there with their soldiers. For those that don't know the story, you should look at the story because this is not just... Somebody asked me, well, where's Jericho? Like as though it was someplace here. It's actually a place in our history and in our hearts. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.
Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hi, I'm Lori Kilmartin. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Who are you, Lori Kilmartin? Oh, my God. So much pressure. Uh, I'm a stand-up. I've been doing stand-up since 1987. Uh, I'm a writer for Conan. I've written a couple books, have a couple CDs out, have a special out. Who are you, Jackie? Well, I, too, am a stand-up comic since 1984. And uh, I do the road like a maniac and uh, don't have a cool writing job, but I have four albums out working on a new album. We talk about stand-up. We talk about uh, all the different parts of stand-up comedy. So that's the Jackie and Lori show, and you should subscribe on Maximum Fun if you want to hear that. (laughs) And I would encourage you not to. Hey, everyone. It's I, John Hodgman of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And I, Elliot Kalin of the Flophouse podcast. And we've made a whole new podcast, a 12-episode special miniseries called I, Podius, in which we recap, discuss, and explore the very famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome called I, Claudius. We've got incredible guests such as Gillian Jacobs, Paul F. Tompkins, as well as star of I, Claudius, Sir Patrick Stewart. And his son, non-sir Daniel Stewart. Don't worry, Dan, you'll get there someday. iPodius is the name of the show. Every week for MaximumFun.org for only 12 weeks. Get them at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.